0: As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. It's time for another Your Financial Mission podcast. Walter Storholt alongside Janine Theus, CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors, your financial commander here on the podcast each and every week. And Janine, you're ready to answer a great question from one of our listeners this week, and I understand you're going to tell us a great story on today's show as well.
1: Absolutely. We're ready to go.
0: Looking forward to the story. But before we get to that, we do, from time to time, or actually quite often here on the podcast, like to answer your questions. It's part of what we like to call... The Mailbag. It's time for the Mailbag. We want to hear from you. And this week's Mailbag question, by the way, you can submit your questions by going to theaswealthadvisors.com, comes to us from Danica. Danica says, "I've heard differing theories about the idea of using life insurance as an investment." Janine, what's your take?
1: Well, that's a great question because there is a whole movement out there in the industry that sets it up like that. But let's be clear what life insurance is. It is a protection mechanism. And now you can use it as a planning tool because it's a very versatile planning tool, but it is not an investment per se as in I'm putting money in the market and hoping I'm going to get some growth out of it. It's constructed... Depending on how you construct it, it can be used as a versatile financial tool because, yes, you can get interest and dividends and never be in the market, never be at risk. So you have access to that cash long term. And then, you know, at some point in the future, it becomes a benefit back to your balance sheet, which people don't really think like that. But that's what happens. Something happens, premature death, long term care, et cetera the money comes back tax-free. So as a tax-free instrument, it's a great planning tool, but it's not an investment in the same fashion as an investment in the market. And there are many different types. A term policy is just that. It's a term for a term. And most people will buy term policy just to protect the children, the college, whatever, for 20 years, 30 years. But at the end of that term, they will drop the policy because it becomes too expensive. There are any number of ways to stack or, or configure a permanent policy, whether it's universal life, index universal life or whole life, so that in retirement you actually have another bucket of money. And that's a different planning tool. So it's really important to understand the difference. I would be wary of someone who says, oh, you need to buy this investment because it's really important to understand what it is and how it fits into the overall plan.
0: That's a great point and a really good question, Danica, I think. Life insurance is always going to be sort of a lightning rod topic in the financial world because you've got a lot of biases, Janine, going into that conversation. Somebody who's, you know, licensed in the life insurance department only is going to feel very strongly in one direction, whereas advisors who can offer more services will take a different approach. And then there's, you know, a hundred other angles you can take to that kind of conversation, too.
1: Absolutely, and you're going to get biases, like you mentioned, on either side, and it's really important to understand what the animal is and how can I use it if I need to or if it's part of my overall structure because, you know, one size doesn't fit all, and most people who assume they won't need life insurance in retirement may not be correct. Whether or not you are successful with that strategy depends on how much you have saved.
0: Mm -hmm. Big factor there. (laughs) <laughs> obviously mm, yeah. that, that personal <laughs> investment and uh, savings are uh, going to be a big factor in a lot of this. But really good question, Danica. Thank you for submitting that one to us. Again, if you'd like to submit your question to be featured on a future show, you can do that by going to theuswealthadvisors.com. You can also just ask Janine direct questions through the website as well. Theuswealthadvisors.com is the place to go. All right, it's time for every once in a while, we do a segment here on the podcast called Story Time. And this week... I'm wondering, Janine, if you can tell us a story about a time when you saw somebody about to make, maybe just made, or was in the process of making a terrible estate planning mistake. What were the consequences of those actions, whether they were about to happen or had already happened? And were you able to help them kind of fix the problem or prevent the problem from happening in the first place?
1: Well, it's really interesting. This gets very entertaining, actually. Well, not if you're the victim of one of these decisions, but (laughs) one of the most common questions that you get, and it's not just an advisor. Attorneys get this all the time. And you know, as full disclosure and disclaimer, I'm not an attorney and I'm not giving legal advice, but it's really important. And I do talk to clients about these questions. Some of these questions are, can I just add someone to my deed and bank account to achieve this? Or... How about, isn't there a form I can just fill out? Or my, you know, my favorite is, can I do this myself? (laughs) And the answer is always going to be, you don't know what you don't know. And so what I'd like to do is kind of go through some scenarios with quick results, things that happen if you go down this road. Because as you get older and you start, unless you have a really good financial estate planning in place, or you've discussed these things with your kids, you're going to miss some of these really important things because as we get older, we kind of lose track of the bubble and we just want it to be easy or our kids just want it to be easy. And sometimes the best of intentions turn out really wrong. So let's just say your son gets in a car accident and the plaintiff wants more than the policy limits of your son's auto insurance. What's the result? If you put someone on your deed or bank account, The plaintiff can garnish your bank account that you have with your son because it's his asset now. So very, very clear, you really need to be careful of who you put, who you add to your bank accounts and and to your deed. You and your son or daughter get into a car accident and you're both incapacitated. The result is your son's power of attorney, likely his wife, if he has one, has access to your checking account because now it's his asset. So the additional penalty is you might need a guardian to manage your medical decisions and your monthly income and your expenses and your remaining assets. And you may not have them because this other person has access to them. Or how about you become estranged with one of your children? The result is you can't sell your house without his or her signature because one of them has an interest in your house that you can only get back via his signature, which you're at that point where you're not talking. That's going to be really tough to do. How about if you have substantial wealth? The result is the IRS comes after you for a gift tax audit because the addition of your son or your child on the account and the house is a gift. And the gift tax return must be filed for gifts over $14,000. So there are substantial penalties if you make these decisions incorrectly. How about if you have substantial wealth and your son has to pay the government estate taxes, which taxes the money that you've already paid income tax for. People don't usually think of that. If you die and your son wants to sell your house because he has his own, the result is your son's income tax liability will be the gain on his share of the house from the date of your purchase to the date of sale. This is a very, very common thing that happens when you add somebody to your deed what happens typically is if I have a house and my children inherit the house when I die, they get a step up in basis. What that's called a step up in basis on the price of the house. So let's just say I bought the house at $300,000 and now it's worth $600,000 and I die, they get a step up where their basis is now $600,000 so they can sell it tomorrow without a capital gains tax. If you put the name of the children on your house, their basis is 300, which is what you purchased the house for.
0: Oh, so the step up in basis is a good thing.
1: Right. The step up in basis is a very good thing. You basically penalize yourself if you put the kids on the deed. So that's a big deal. Let's see. A child files for bankruptcy and you've put them on the deed. Your bank account could become part of the bankruptcy and sold for creditors. That's not a good place to be. How about if you die and your son has liquidated your entire IRA and the result is the entire IRA will likely be taxed at your son's income tax rate. This happens quite often and it may be a lot higher than what your tax rate was during retirement. And when you look at the statistics, money that is inherited is gone within seven years.
0: Wow. That's a short period of time.
1: Short period of time. So what's happened is, let's say you have substantial amount of money in an IRA and the, your inheritors inherit it and they cash it out because they don't know they're going to pay a huge amount on, in taxes on that money. So it's a huge penalty to the family. Now, maybe you don't care because you're gone. <laughs> But typically, I mean, that's where you would have the discussion about a stretch IRA and for the kids retirement, et cetera, et cetera. But you want to have some language or verbiage or conversation on how to inherit some of these assets. So if you die and you're married, your spouse can sue your son. So this is assuming you put your son on a deed or bank account. Your spouse can sue your son for his spousal elective share and homestead rights to your home. To become co-owner of the home with your son. What?
0: Yeah, I got to say that one twice. <laughs> okay, so
1: essentially, you die, and your spouse can sue your son because you put your son on the deed, to become the co-owner of the home with your son.
0: Yeah, my head's spinning on that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. But the, you know, these things have happened, and typically, this is probably more common. You're married. Your surviving spouse remarries. The surviving spouse can give your property and accounts to a new spouse or new, you know, of the children of the new spouse. Mm -hmm. So people typically don't think of these things when they're just trying to take care of business, that there is a longer-term penalty, you know, legally for some of these decisions. You know, you have another son or daughter and you, you might be in your fragile years. The result could be that the other son claims elder financial abuse against the son added to the accounts and the deed, and files a criminal complaint and for guardianship to make financial and medical decisions for you. So people get weird. <laughs> <laughs> people in money are funny, you know, especially if kids know they're going to inherit a lot. That's why I so encourage people to talk with their kids. Nothing should be a surprise, yeah. And you know when if they if you have a lot of money, they're, Most of my clients are great people and I think their kids are going to be great people and there are great people. And so there's not going to be this, this greed factor that comes into play. But, you know, this has, I've seen clients go through some situations similar to this where, you know, one child is given the trustee position and doesn't talk to the other siblings. And so now you have a secrecy issue or a perceived secrecy issue. And, you know, are you going to end up suing each other? So, you have to be really careful when you start to go down this road of trying to make it easy for everybody that you don't end up penalizing everybody because it, of of something that happens.
0: It sounds to me like there's just so many more wrong turns that you can make when it comes to estate planning than you would imagine. I mean, i I wouldn't have guessed that there were that many, you know, ways you could take a misstep in estate planning. It just it just sounds like something that should be simpler. I want, I want this to happen with my dollars, you know. Sounds like it should be that simple, but it it just kind of keeps spiraling in different routes that can take you down different rabbit holes and, uh, (laughs) And, you know, different potholes that, you know, bump you off the right track.
1: Absolutely. And some people, you know, if your goal is to avoid probate, sometimes these decisions can completely negate that because Mm -hmm. of who you've put on your account will negate who the beneficiary is, and it will go through probate. So, uh, you know, not that probate's a terrible thing, but it it can be lengthy mm-hmm. and, in, you know, becomes public. And so if you're trying to make things as simple as possible, sometimes spending a little money to talk to an attorney to get make sure all of this gets wired properly yeah. is really important. Um, and, you know, so on the, you know, financial planning and investment side, it's the same situation. I have folks that say, oh, I can do this myself. And I said, well... Great when you're in accumulation mode, that works great. But when you go into retirement mode, and now you're you're dealing with all the other risks you hadn't really thought about, like sequence of returns risk and disinvesting risk and the decline of the market and your own emotional behavior, because now you have less of a time horizon, you can't afford to make mistakes. You know, maybe you really need to sit down with someone because doing it yourself is more a recipe for disaster than you think. And you don't know what you don't know.
0: Janine, let me put myself in the shoes of a listener. You know, I hear that overwhelming (laughs) list of ways I can mess up my estate planning and I'm working with you as a financial advisor or thinking about working with somebody like you as a financial advisor to help me address the the investments and the retirement side of this whole thing, and I want to also make sure that I don't make some of these estate planning mistakes, what role do you serve in helping make this an easier process and to make sure that these mistakes don't get made? Do I need to go out and talk to an attorney first and then come to you? Do you help facilitate those conversations? What's the easiest route for me to get to from point A of unprepared to point B of prepared, ready, estate plan is exactly how I want it and meshes with my financial plan.
1: Part of it is I do have some attorneys I work with, and so I'm happy to refer to them. But at least initially, my role is to have a conversation with you of what you're trying to accomplish. And then the attorney comes in and says, okay, this this will work legally, or this won't work legally, And, and we kind of hash it out really. But then you go after you're, you know, working on your plan, then you go to the attorney. Because sometimes, depending on the, you know, the attorney you go to, they're supposed to be collecting all the information on assets and income and everything. But believe it or not, they don't always ask the right questions. They just say, okay, what do you want to do? Well, what if you don't know what you want to (laughs) do? And that's where I come in is, okay, what are we trying to solve for? Mm -hmm. You know, what are we trying to do long term? Let's look at all the different what if scenarios and options and then what would play out. And that's where I feel that our role is, is critical because then when you go to an attorney, attorneys write documents and that's not all they do, but you, you really will have a much better feel for what you're accomplishing by doing that and then making sure that the assets do transfer in a timely and efficient manner without all this drama.
0: It's helpful to have somebody guide you through these things. There's no doubt about that because it can get overwhelming if you let it. But here's the good news. If you want to get in touch with Janine Thea, she can help make sure to walk you through this process and uh, take care of crossing all the T's and dotting the I's and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, you can reach out to Janine at any time by calling 443-718-6311. That's 443 718 6311. You can also visit us online at TheusWealthAdvisors.com A chance to listen to past podcasts, read the blog posts, all sorts of good stuff there on the website theuswealthadvisors.com, your place to go there. Don't forget to pick up your own Retirement Rescue Toolkit as well that talks about mistakes like this that are made throughout not only the estate planning process but financial and retirement planning as a whole. Lots of other great resources and details for you in that toolkit and again, you can find that on the blog page or pretty much in several different locations on the website theuswealthadvisors.com. If you're listening to this on iTunes or uh, Google or one of these other resources out there uh, you can just click in the link in the description of this episode to access those resources as well. Janine, thanks as always for the help, and we'll talk to you on the next podcast.
1: Thanks so much, Walter. Looking forward to next time.
0: This has been Your Financial Mission, and we'll talk to you again soon.